Welcome to episode number 39 of Help Police Radio. I'm your host, Alpha Mike. What are we going to be talking about today? Today's conversation is going to be about how to apply for a law enforcement job, the do, the don'ts, and what curveballs may come your way on today's L Police Radio. Welcome to episode 39. We're in the second week of June. The year is going by fast, just like all the other ones. But there's a lot of young people out there that are actually considering a position in law enforcement. And many of them are naive on applying. You can do the online thing, or you can submit your application. It might take a couple of weeks, months, you finally get an answer, and then you go in through this long curveball of waiting to see if you're eligible or if the agency even wants you based on the number of applicants versus how many openings there really is. So there's a lot of issues when it comes to applying. And we're going to look at various, uh, a bunch of them, really, uh, ones that I didn't face when I went through this uh, about 29 years ago. I didn't have to really put up with some of the issues that are are present today. So let me tell you who agencies kind of really like to look for. They like to look for people that are young, that really have very few job experiences, and really they haven't even traveled through life yet. And we're going to break down why they're looking for that person and not somebody that's a little bit more well-seasoned, a little older, and a little bit more experienced in life. There is a secret to the madness. But before we get into that, we're going to discuss some more issues. I am on a roller coaster, folks, and I've got a serious ride ahead of me. I will be getting surgery. 
uh, probably in the, sometime in the month of July, and it's something minor. So I don't believe the rumors that I have two weeks to live. But in the meantime, since uh, it is surgery that's going to be very difficult for me to talk, I will go ahead and I'm popping out about uh, 10, 11 uh, episodes. And uh, so we've got a lot on this agenda. I'm going to be doing these things one every day almost up until that surgery time comes. So we already got Flint out there. That was 38. This is 39. Uh, number 40 is the policy, how agencies basically have people that are not in the field. In other words, they're not sworn, and they're actually diving into policies. The, the root of all evil, money, of course, and narco, dealing in the criminal enterprise of that industry. Number 42, July 4th, is going to be same old. The same old issues in law enforcement. The monotony of your career. Can you survive it? 43, suspicious minds. It's not necessarily what you think. It's got to be a podcast about detective work and law enforcement and I spy investigations. No. It's about reckless marriages. Number 44, in the ghetto. And we're going to talk about a lot of resources that are needed and where do they come from and how do you pay for them. 45, oath of office. A lot of people are in law enforcement or thinking about getting into law enforcement. And that oath that you take at the day of the ceremony that you get your badge, are you really listening to it? Do you understand what you're about to get into? Well, some people don't. We're going to look at that. Oath of office, and that's number 45. 46, August 1st, accommodating transgenders in the jail and prison systems. You know the cost of this wacky left concept, what it will cost jurisdictions in the millions, and quite frankly, our leftist friends over in government really don't care if it's coming out of your pocket. So we'll talk about that. 47, uh, my Leo friends. Now, here's the sad part. If you know who these friends are, you need to start looking in the mirror. Johnny, Monkey, Hendrix, Gene Mark, and Miller. If you know who they are, it's time to look in the mirror. And number 48, August 15th, and we're going to talk about Jake. Jake, of course, my longtime friend in law enforcement. Uh, we knew each other for uh, 28, 29 years, and um, we worked together, at least my career, 27. He did 34 years of service, and he recently passed away, and it was heartbreaking for me. So we're dedicating a show not only to his memory, but what it is to be a friend, what a friend is in law enforcement. But before we get into all that, we've got to get into the news segments. So let's start off with the first one.
one. Well, number one, the school shootings and the mass hysteria that's out there on dealing with school shootings. And of course, Texas is not far behind. Governor Greg Abbott announced the plan Wednesday in Dallas, less than two weeks after the shooting that killed 10 people, CNN uh, reports. The plan lists a number of recommendations, including increased law enforcement presence and an armed marshals in schools. When an active shooter situation arises, the difference between life and death can be a matter of seconds. Trained security personnel can make all the difference, about Abbott said. The 40-page list of recommendations known as the Governor's School and Firearm Safety Action Plan includes more than $120 million in funding for various sources of increased law enforcement presence and training for armed marshals. Now, I'm going to break away a little bit from this new segment because states are all creating their up-and-coming new school law enforcement plan, and that's all well and good. But here's the problem that I have with this. And although it's tragic, and I know citizens have said we draw the line when it comes to kids and safety, we're spending tremendous amounts of resources and money. And these idiots that are out there that do these acts, when they're finished, they're going to do another act. It could be anything. You know, it could be a school playground. It could be a school bus. It could be in a shopping mall. Who knows what... what what lurks in these idiots' minds. And then we're going to be forced to all of a sudden man police there too. It's time for law enforcement in this country to really look at the model that they have in Israel because Israel uses plain security and they're the ones that are going to buffer the incident for the valuable minutes until security forces or law enforcement or military personnel, in the case of Israel, can get to that scene and neutralize it. We're not doing that. We're kind of just saying, okay, you're kind of like quasi-law enforcement. We're going to train you. We're just putting thumbtacks up on walls. And the name of the game with all this stuff with schools is spontaneity. If the bad guy doesn't know what the the security personnel looks like or where he's at, then they're going to be worried. Another thing, roll calls should be done at schools all around the country so there's nothing but police cars all over the freaking place all the time. Make the police officers make, file their reports there instead of in a police car close to a Dunkin' Donuts. I'm going to get hate mail for that. But that spontaneity, that kills the bad guy's momentum big time because they don't know where the police really are. But we're kind of telling on ourselves, one this, one that, he'll be doing this training, he'll have this type of gun, he'll have these type of rounds. We're telegraphing ourselves, we're talking too much. I know citizens want action, and politicians, boy, they're one to spill the beans quick, but are they really coming up with the most effective plans? Yeah, it's probably going to slow down, if not slow down entirely, school shootings. But at what price? Does this mean that all of a sudden it's going to emanate from somewhere else? So we need to keep our eye on that one. 
All right, next one. What's up next? Come on, number two. Two. All right, I had to say two before the two ladies, so, you know, I guess she was the Dunkin' Donuts or something. All right, so that, that brings us to our forgotten friends in law enforcement, and if you're an avid listener and you're always paying attention to what we've got to say here, you know that I'm talking about corrections. And we're back in Texas, where Texan prison system faces allegations of harassment and discrimination. More than a decade after sexual assault scandal rocked the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, the agency is still a boys' club plagued with sexual harassment and a culture that makes it difficult for women to get promoted despite efforts to bring them into the ranks, according to more than a dozen current and former employees. Three of the highest paid employees in the prison system and about 25% of the wardens are women, according to the Houston Chronicle analysis in 2017. But female officers also have to connect, to contend with harassment from coworkers, masturbation of inmates, and free of retaliation if they complain, according to the lawsuit, states, or records, and, uh, and interviews. You think it's the inmates that you have to worry about, said one of the former employees, who asked not to be identified, but it's actually the people that you work with. Some woman told the Chronicle of enduring lewd and comments and inappropriate contact with coworkers. One female employee said she and other women guards, uh, they call this a guard thing, I guess we're playing basketball, pick jobs working around inmates to avoid having contact with men who supervise them. The latest allegation comes after the department reached a $25,000 settlement last year in a lawsuit accusing a male lieutenant of raping an officer he supervised, a claimed remissant of a former assistant director, Sammy Bonatello, who retired in 2004, aimed criminal charges in a high-dollar lawsuit by multiple women accused him of sexual harassment and assault. Well, that's just a clown. But here's my take on all this. Again, who's coming to the re to the rescue here on this sexual harassment and discrimination in, in correctional facilities? Well, none other than our superheroes. No, it's not the Avengers. It is the lawyers. The lawyers are going to go out there and they're going to defend America. By the time they finish with this, this thing will be an upside-down omelet that nobody will be able to digest. This, as usual, is a bunch of baloney. Listen, there are so many laws in this country on harassment and discrimination that and there are so, you're working for a government agency. There's so many outlets, whistleblower act, and so forth. For these articles to come out, and you to be gullible enough to actually believe some of it, it's scary. Now, am I saying that these things didn't happen? No, I'm not. Maybe they did, but not to the magnitude that the, the newspaper, remember, their job is to sell newspaper, wants you to believe. A lot of it is you'll see old uh, cases from 2004. Hello, what year are we in now? All of a sudden, now they come into fruition. You got to wonder. Again, this is another superhero project by none other than our famous 
lawyers. All right, where's the lady again? Where'd she doze off? So the doze off. All right, come on, the next one. Three. Now this next story, to me, is just mind-boggling. And, all right, I'll just read it. We'll forget all the mystery. I'll just read it. Now, let me, let me bring the disclaimer forth. By the time you listen to the story, this is all news. Remember, I'm on a marathon doing 11 episodes in uh, the, the uh, beginning of June. So a lot of this is, wait a minute, but that was, uh, you know, uh, yes, it was. But listen to the story and I'm going to comment on it. Don't worry about the date. Kim Kardashian strutted into the Oval Office on Wednesday to, for a sit-down with President Donald Trump to discuss criminal justice issues, including an imprisoned drug offender she discovered on Twitter. The reality queen donned on high heels and an all-black assemble, assemble for a high-anticipated White House meeting. Kardashian was spotted entering the West Wing at, at around 4.45 p.m. and leaving an hour later. She spoke with both Trump and Jarden Kushner, whom she met through Ivanka Trump, according to sources. The mother of three requested the White House meeting after hearing about the plight of Alice Marie Johnson on social media last year. This is so unfair, Kardashian tweeted on October 2017, along with a link and an interview Johnson 63 did on Mike.com. Sources told the Post that Kardashian argued that Johnson, a Memphis great-grandmother convicted of drug conspiracy, had paid her debt to society after 21 years behind bars and deserved clemency. Now, let me, let me, let me just cut to the chase on this. Celebrity, you that are listening, you call the White House and say that you want to advocate on behalf of an inmate or a prisoner and see if you get through the front doors of the West Wing. See if we spot you going in through the West Wing. I feel for the old lady. She did 21 years in Taxi. a drug conspiracy. I don't know what she was sentenced to. I didn't go on further reading the story. But we start off at the great-grandmother, then we go to the great-grandfather, then the great-uncle, and then the cousin 15 times removed, when do we stop? Now, prison reform is nothing more than nothing less than letting people out of the prison system because it's too freaking expensive for states to run. That's why when we have our, our episode number uh, 46 coming up, Accommodating Transgenders, that'll highlight these big bucks, these big dollars we're spending. So prison reform, why government's jumping on it? They're jumping on it because they're getting to let these people out, out of the prison system, out of the jail, go somewhere else. You're, you're rehabilitated. Get out of here. The other thing that's coming fast and hard, and we're going to have an episode on that in the near future, is house arrest, ankle bracelets, and uh, you get the uh, police yourself. How about that? That's coming. The, the cost is astronomical, and states and counties and cities don't want to pay it anymore. And as a result, 
we got prison reform, so we got celebrities going to the White House to ask for clemency. So uh, maybe we'll put on the show notes the number to the White House so you can call for uh, your next-door neighbor that might be, he might have got loaded 20 years ago. The bugler was right on point. Still sounds lousy, but he was on point. What are we talking about on episode number 39? We're talking about how to apply. How do I I apply for a law enforcement job? I'm 19. I'm 20. I'm 21. I've got very little job experience. I'm a professional student at this point. And I either just recently finished high school or I'm in college flipping through pages in the library, not knowing exactly what I want to do in life. So somebody tells me, hey, why don't you do this? Look, I got the brochure. I know I got an uncle by the name of Bob. He did it for like 30 years. And now he's as rich as Roosevelt. So why don't you do this? This would be a great opportunity for you. And off you go to fill out your application. And you're completely clueless because you work at the local supermarket. It's a big chain and all. But you actually did your application online inside the supermarket, and they called you three days later, and you showed up with black pants, and they gave you the green top, and all of a sudden, there you are bagging. But this is different. This is different, folks. Here, the agency's going to be looking for a lot of criteria. And if you go around window shopping, which is... I apply for 10, 15, 11, 12, 9, 6, 7 agencies. After a while, all that information goes into a data bank, and everybody knows that you're an agency stalker now. And they can compare notes, what you wrote in one agency versus what you might have wrote in another, and make sure how accurate it might be. So here's the plan, kids. Take out your pens, your papers, your cardboard boxes and your crayons and pay attention we're going to start breaking it down you've never done this before you got to do it right the first time or you're going to screw this all up and next thing you know you'll be at home depot that's it so pay attention first thing you're going to do is you're going to look for the agencies that you most like now the first thing i want to talk to you about is you start you need to start thinking today about your retirement in 25 to 30 years inside that agency. Why? You need to find out what type of uh, policy, what type of pension do they have? Is it transferable? Is it a state pension plan so I can go from one law enforcement agency to another? Or is it a fixed pension plan only pertaining to that agency and if I leave prior to that well I kind of like wasted five years and I got to go start all over again so you want to make sure that you really like that agency and if they only have an exclusive 401k or whatever plan that that city or county municipality might have then you want to make sure that's the place you want to be for the next 25, 30 years. But if it's a transferable type of pension type of system, 
I can leave that agency and go to another agency that has, let's say, the state pension plan that might be worth your while. So that's the first thing you need to investigate. What kind of pension plans do they have? And will it accommodate me for the next 25 to 30 years? Because you can't get to seven-year itch on your first year. Seven-year itch for those that are not been there yet, they're still on their sixth year, basically is every seven years, wherever you're at in law enforcement or whatever job you have, if it's the same one, on the seventh year, you can't take it anymore and you swear that you're going to leave and go do something better. And then again, that's repeated at 14 and 21 and 28 years and so forth. So just before I left, I started getting a little itch a little earlier. And of course I left, so the itch was <clears throat> really there. But I had it at 7, 14, and 21, they're really bad. And so you want to make sure you want to be at that agency, okay? Now, you're about to enter the applicational process of the agency you're dying to get into. You've studied everything about that agency, and you know that that's the one you want. What I want you to do is I want you to make a copy of the applicational process, and you're going to write it out. Oh, but wait a minute, Alpha Mike. You can do it online. Yeah, well, I didn't ask you that. I want you to write it out. Why are you writing it out? Two reasons. One, you can remember all the baloney you're writing in the, in the application in the first place. It's going to help you with your background investigator and so forth in memorizing dates. So you want to write it out. You also want to write it out in case they throw one at you and they say, well, I know you did it online, but I need you to write it out now. See if it's consistent and the same. So you're going to write it out in perfect, perfect penmanship. Okay? I want those lines perfect. And if it's not applicable section of the application, I want you to put N-A, and I want to put the little line, okay? The little line going from top right to bottom left, all consistent in the same manner. Don't start throwing X's and O's and all this on your application. So we'll put an example of it on lpoliceradio.com so you can see. Remember, the purpose of writing out the application is because that way you're remembering the storyline, where you went to high school, when you graduated, what years, who your teacher was, what your first job was, where you lived, when you got in trouble, what you did, and so forth. The other thing is some agencies have different cr crazy policies when it comes to driving. You know, you can have three tickets in seven years, or you can have seven tickets in three years, or you can have no tickets in any years, whatever it is. A lot of them are very confusing. So if you're one of these persons with a very heavy lead foot and you get a ticket a month, don't waste your time in the law enforcement police circle. Now, it's not over yet. There's other things you can do. You can apply for other positions, maybe a civilian position within that police agency and wait till that driving record of yours gets a little bit better and then you can apply. Or you can also apply for the forgotten law enforcement profession. And all our boys and girls that know, let them see some show. Look at all those hands. Look at that. 
That's perfect. They all know what I'm talking about. The profession of corrections. They might not have, and they probably will not have, a stringent driving record because you'll be stuck inside a facility most of the time if you're not working transportation. So therefore, they could be a little bit flexible. Now, that doesn't mean you can go around running over people and convicting man and be convicted of manslaughter, but they're made a little bit more lenient. If you got one, two, or three tickets, it might go better for you that way. So keep that in mind. Now, as we start entering an application process, make sure you got your dates right, your managers right, your supervisors right. The people that you're putting on there, you're not going to put Mother Hen, the one that hated you, the, in, the individual employee that when they would see you get out of the car, they would go, oh, my God, I can't stand them. I can't stand her. And then there you are. Oh, well, let me write his name down on the application because they're not going to say good things about you. So if you can, you're always going to put down supervisor friendly. Okay? And that's going to help you. Now, if you can't, you got to put uh, Attila the Hun, then you're going to go ahead and do that. But uh, there's ways that in your interview process you can kind of hint that's uh, not that they don't like you, don't say that, that there might be a little difficult to contact on the phone because, you know, they're always busy and they're never really in a good mood sometimes. So you're going to break the ice a little bit there, okay? You want to get your references all down-packed. Remember, don't be putting Uncle Bob that you haven't talked to in 20 years and you really don't know, but your third cousin, five times removed, told you to put down Bob, and then you find out that Bob got uh, terminated and arrested from the police agency he worked for for some stupid act like touching little kids, okay? Whoever your references are, Make sure you know them, make sure they know you, and make sure that your stories are the same and that they're outstanding individuals in the community. Now, a lot of individuals like to put a bunch of cops on a police application because they think it looks good. It's, it's, it's not going to hurt you, but let me tell you, they, like, they need to see a well-rounded person, Okay. So you want to have a group of people. If it's five or six references you need from different walks of life. But make sure that they're pretty good citizens themselves, okay? You don't want people with rap sheets longer than the Charles Manson as your reference. Once you go through the process, your credit is also going to be into play. So prior to getting into your application process, you're going to want to make sure that your credit your credit uh, score is getting better. So a couple of techniques that you can use, well, any credit cards that you have, keep them under 30%. Make sure you pay prior to the due date and keep that uh, credit uh, evolving. Don't use much of your credit. Remember, keep it under 30%, but you got to use it. And don't apply for any more credit. Don't go crazy and don't go diving into it. Because you're going to enter your application process with a credit score. It might go up a couple of beeps, but pretty much that's who you're going to be from the time you apply. It's important because they will disregard you based on a lot of credit debt that you have. Now, some people ask, well, why will they take credit into 
consideration as a disqualifier? Well, because it poses the ability of corruption. If I owe $20,000 and I'm in law enforcement, well, I could be tempted uh, in, in various uh, incidents that occur and obtaining money. So they want people that don't have it. Another thing we want to talk about is agencies. You know, you got these guys, they're six foot nine, they weigh 400 pounds, and they lift uh, weights from, you know, seven o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. And uh, they're super uh, Herculean. But that's not who the agencies are really looking for. Believe it or not, agencies want very petite individuals. They won't tell you that. They'll strictly deny it. There's probably a bunch of them listening to me right now, uh, giving me the Bronx cheer, saying that it's not true. But it is true. And because they feel that those big individuals and so forth, uh, not only may be the chance that you're on uh, some enhancement uh, issues with your pumping iron and uh, causing anger management issues, that you're going to get in trouble first. So they shy away from you. Not necessarily all the time, but sometimes they do. And here's a case in point. How many veterans do we got coming back from wartime combat missions? And a lot of them applying, but not all of them are getting a job. Why? Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. That's why. So a lot of them went through a lot of turmoil in combat, and agencies don't want to take that liability, putting a badge on them and a giving them a police car and a gun and telling them, drive around here, and if something pops off, you know how to handle it. All of a sudden, they think they're in Fallujah. So they kind of shy away from them. So that's case in point of what we were talking about. So the most important aspect of this, and we're going to get a little bit off the application process, prior to getting accepted into an academy, You've, you've submitted your application. Every time you go, you're, you're going to your polygraph, you passed. You went to your, your health screening, you passed. You went to your lie detector test, uh, your polygraph, I said that. And uh, you, you passed. And your psych interview and you passed. Everything's starting to look good. And you're getting all excited. Do not start lifting weights. Run. Run, become a marathon man. Flexibility and cardio is more important than lifting weights. You know, the bigger the the bigger you are, the harder you fall. Okay, so remember that. Most importantly, prior to you putting any ink to paper, your social media is a must listen. I didn't do it when I went through the application process 29 years ago because of the fact that there was no social media, but there is now. So you don't want to have Instagram pictures of you doing bongs and Facebook, uh, you know, there you are with uh, white hoodies on with little cutouts for the eyes. Uh, you don't want to be grabbing certain body parts and uh, playing with guns and in these pictures and so forth in the, in the presence of minors. 
So for you're getting a picture, aren't you? I hope you're getting a picture. You kind of sound like you guys are smart. Let me see the class. How many getting a picture? No, no, no. Not if you have the picture. How many? Okay, never mind. But the I want you to concentrate on your social media. Get rid of all those pictures that will put you not in a very good light. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Don't, you don't need them. Go hide them in a drawer somewhere. But take them off the social networking. And the reason for that is it's going to come back and haunt you. You will be sitting in the academy and you'll be daydreaming about the day you graduate and all of a sudden your training advisor or your drill instructor will come and tap you on the shoulder and say, get outside of the classroom, goof. We need to talk. And you need to start writing 500-page memorandum of why you're on Instagram playing with bongs. Okay? So you don't want to be there. You don't want to be that idiot, and you don't want to go through that. It will be discovered. Sometimes it's not picked up on the investigative angle of your background during your application, but it will get discovered at some point. Believe me what I tell you. When you have contact with your application to human resource, you will dress in a professional attire. You will not have any visible um, tattoos, earrings, and you will say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, and you will carry yourself out in a professional manner at all times, even if it's just to drop off the application. Why am I saying this? Because who you, what you look like is how you will be treated. Simple as that. You will present your application with information that could be easily validated the day you turn it in. What the hell am I talking about? I graduated from, what do you call it, high school in the year of our Lord, whatever it was. And within my application packet there's my diploma so if the background guy looks at it I can give him instant evidence to what I wrote such as employment such as birth certificate such as anything else driver's license everything else you need to have at the ready make sure that your insurance cards for driving and everything are up to par and paid for and you, basically, you're living a normal life like all the, all the sucker citizens in the world, and I'm one of them, that we have to pay monthly stipends to everybody in the world for them to say what an outstanding citizen he is. So make sure you're doing the same thing. There's no excuse if you're going to be applying. And right after you apply and you are successful and you go into the academy and you, and you graduate, you'll be doing that for the next 25 to 30 years of your life, being an outstanding citizen. So it starts just prior to putting paper and pen together, before the crayon hits the cardboard, before the pencil hits the pavement. You're going to be that outstanding citizen for many years to come after that. <clears throat> Keep that in mind. The application process as I said in the opening remarks, agencies are looking for people, kids, basically 19, 20 years old, with no uh, a lot of uh, monkey waters with um, 
employment history. Why? It's an easy trail. It's easy to basically say, never been arrested, never did this. Never, you haven't done anything. You just went to freaking school. You just graduated. But opposed to the person that's 30, 35, 40 years old, and, uh, of course, if you're in New York, remember, if you're an avid listener to this show, don't apply for any law enforcement job if you're over 37 in the state of New York. All right? Don't forget that. That magic number, 37. I don't know where it came from, but it came from somebody. And it's been there forever, for, for many, many years. 37. Don't apply. If you're 38, if you're 38, don't apply. Go do something else. Now, if whatever baggage you have, I got arrested, but no conviction, make sure that you go to the courts, the clerks, you get all those papers stamped approval saying that you're exonerated and you're the best citizen in the world. Don't write it and can't be proving it. But you're going to write it on paper, you're going to prove it. You got a lot of homework to do in order to get through this process. But we know that you can do it. I could talk about this for the next 22 hours. But um, we gave you pretty much a heads up. There are a lot of agencies out there that are hiring. The bigger, the better. Uh, but don't think you, if you do have baggage, you're just going to get through the mix. They're going to pick up that you got in baggage and uh, your cousin Louie's not going to be able to get you through it. So remember... It's important. And now, folks, it's time for the 09 training tip. Now, today's training tip, 09 training tip, is mostly geared towards those individuals that have command over other employees. Uh, whether you're an officer, you may be in that position, a sergeant, a corporal, a lieutenant, a captain, and it goes all the way up. It doesn't matter what your rank is. But one of the things I want to talk about is something that I, I recently had the opportunity of putting it on paper via email, for my little sister, which is promoted and uh, as a sergeant in the city of Miami, and we're very proud of her, extremely proud of her. But I gave her a list of do's and don'ts, and a lot of the stuff that I did is she might have thought, this is off the wall. And, of course, if I call her and ask her, do you do it? She's going to tell me, of course, oh, I do. I've done every single one of them. God bless her. But the thing is this. One of those elements that need to be done of a supervisor towards a subordinate is explaining the order that is given and the magnitude of the order. What am I talking about? Well, <clears throat> imagine I tell you that I need you to stand on the street, and this is an example, of so-and-so corner and so-and-so avenue, and I want you to enforce traffic laws. It's very important that you give those tickets out if they're, near, if they're happening, if there is an offense, before people start sending me hate emails. You can't force a quota, quota, quota. But I'm not talking about a quota. 
go and force traffic at that intersection. And the officer or, those, or whoever it is goes out there and they go to enforce the order that was given to them. But they don't understand the magnitude of why. So all of a sudden, as soon as they leave, they're going to be a little bit pissed. First, they can't hang out. They can't do their daily routine. They can't hang out with their buddies. And as the sun starts pouring down on their heads as they're giving out these tickets, they don't understand the concept. Why me? Why was I the, the lucky one chosen here? So follow me here. The magnitude of explaining where that order came from, what is the objective, and how that individual fits the role in carrying out that objective. It's so important when you give orders to subordinates that they understand the full magnitude of what the agency is trying to accomplish. Just don't send them out in the dark because that builds frustration. Frustration turns into anger, and anger starts showing up on some pretty poor evaluations. As a supervisor, it's your job to motivate your employee underneath you. Well, bring them in as a partner, not as just a subordinate. Bring them in the fold from top to bottom. So from the, from the high heavens of the agencies in the palace, the one with the four stars, all the way down to the last person, whatever orders carried out or given or issued needs to be really explained all the way down so everyone understands the full magnitude of what is trying to be the accomplishment. So, it's time to hop on. We're going to get on our little bikes, and we're going to have our little conversation. <laughs> Proverbs 26, starting at verse 13. The lazy man says, there is a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the street. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hands in the bowl. It's where it worries him to bring it back to his mouth. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer him sensibly. What are we talking about, folks? God has a sense of humor. I just read in the book of Proverbs some of those things about an individual that is lazy. And one of the things that you don't want to do in your career, if you're in law enforcement or you're not, or you're thinking about getting in law enforcement, we all have those days that we just don't have, I don't know, the motivation, the spark, the energy, uh, the will to carry out the day's mission. But somehow you have to dig deep and you got to get through it. You got to do it. And the reason for that is people are not only depending on you, but God is watching you. As we read in Proverbs 26, we talked about the lazy man. You don't want to be that individual. 
You see, God gives blessings through effort. And when you give that effort and you go that extra mile, that pleases him. And in that, there is great reward. Sometimes you don't want to go through the motions and you haphazardly do. But when you give it that little extra ink or that little extra pat on the back to a citizen or that little extra prep talk or whatever the situation might be, dig deep, deep inside your soul to go the extra mile because there is definitely a great reward in it. God sees that you've gone the extra mile. You see, what's so fascinating about all of this is God knows how you feel. You don't have to act it out. He already knew before you felt it that you didn't have it in you. But when he sees that you did pull it through and you did do what you were supposed to do at a higher level, it pleases him well to bless you. So what's up next? We've got all these episodes. they got to show up. we got, we got to get them out there. So, episode 40, we're going to talk about the policy, the policy agencies that have people that write policies. Some make sense, some make, make uh, no sense. Some are written by people that are not law enforcement officials. Do you believe that one? Sometimes they're written by, and I'm going to say it, civilians. Oh, gosh. But it's true. And then you get this policy that you got to make sense of. Sometimes policies are written by lawyers. The lawyer said we had to do this. And since the lawyer said it, we're going to do it because the lawyer said it. But the lawyer never was a cop. The lawyer doesn't even know how to play cop. So a lot of these policies that agencies come up with Sometimes they're forced to create policies. Great example of that is you look at New York City and the great emperor, Big Bird, Mayor Che, Bill de Blasio. He's telling the agencies pretty much writing policies as he goes along. We won't be enforcing marijuana. We won't be enforcing people that inject drugs. We won't be, we won't be, we won't be. He's creating policy with his cockamamie projects and they are becoming complex for law enforcement officials to write them out because they're liberal approaches. So we're going to be discussing that next on the policy. Remember, the show notes, we're going to have everything posted on there of what we talked about today. The news we're going to read them. Don't get caught up on these dates and all that. Remember, I'm pulling out 11 or 10 or 11 episodes in the next couple of weeks because uh, going into surgery in the month of July, I won't be able to really broadcast properly. So as a result, I'm doing them now. So the segments in the media that we do, the news media, remember, it's a review. I'm basically commenting on the article. So don't get caught up on, eh, it's old. I already heard that. Why is he talking about that? Oh, my God. Okay, I'm 
Think, listen to the comment. Don't worry about the date. Don't get caught up on dates, okay? There are so many things that we can talk about, and we have a long list. You can always go to lpoliceradio.com, and on there there's upcoming shows and current shows, and scroll down. I think we're up to November of 2018. If you look on there, you see all the shows that come out. Somebody asked me the other day, well, how do you get some of these shows? And there is a little review process that I do. I see a lot of documentaries. And um, I might do maybe two or three documentaries a week. Some of them I can't stomach the whole, whatever they are, two hours or an hour and a half. And I'll maybe see 30 minutes of it. Uh, some of them I do see the entirety of them. And they give me ideas. And uh, ideas I start, uh, if anybody knows how I roll, I start scratching, uh, I take out my little crayon and it's just writing on cardboard boxes or on paper, on back of envelopes, it doesn't matter. And all of a sudden those become ideas. Ideas, I start typing it into the website and there is the show. There are so many things you could discuss in law enforcement. You could be here all day and night. Uh, we're, our approach is not one that we're going to be so stern about, and we're going to talk about the proper way to wear your boots and how to shine them. No, we're not that type of program. Here we're going to talk about the realities of certain things, okay, how to apply. You know, we talked about that. Kids out there don't have no idea. And a lot of the officers or retired folks that are out there, you didn't know how to do it either. Oh, give me that baloney. You made mistakes. We all did. You learn from your mistakes. The thing is, can you mentor other people? And a lot of what we do and what I do behind this microphone is to mentor. And I've always mentored in my career. I have a lot of my mentees. Love them all to death. And some of continue to reach out to me not as frequent as you know when you retire I want you to know if you're thinking about retirement you're going to soon retire in law enforcement you die a slow death you it's like you fell off the face of the earth everybody forgot who you are but anyway uh, some people still reach out you know in a conversation all that but uh, the general attitude is you've passed you, you know you're no longer in the agency so what kind of advice can they give well, I, I, I do mentor my, my little sister. Thank God she, she listens, even though she always tells me, I, I'm doing it. Yeah, I did it. Sure, I did it. I did it. I read the whole book, the whole thing. But uh, mentoring in your career is very important. Giving back. I did that for my 27 years, long list of people that I mentored. So what am I doing behind this microphone? I'm mentoring now. But the only thing is, I don't know who these people are that are listening on the other end. So I continue to talk. Because if God gave me, I've got to give back. That's how it rolls. That's how we roll. That's how we roll here on lpoliceradio.com. You can connect to us through our website, lpoliceradio.com. Scroll up the page. The, the um, social media icons will pop out. Twitter. Facebook, blah, bleep, blah, blah, and uh, link and all that other stuff, and you can connect with us there. 
I usually do a lot of connections through Twitter. And uh, don't forget, don't forget, for those that are avid listeners, uh, uh, Music Monday, okay? Music Mondays, we're putting out on some tunes to start our week off. That's on Twitter, and that's on El Police Radio on Facebook. Magic, um, I keep on saying magic. Maybe I should change it. Music Monday. So we want you to stay connected to that. It has been my pleasure and my honor to be your host on El Police Radio. This is Alpha Mike, continuously praying for you and your daily walk. Stay strong. See you soon. Thank <laughs> you.